Hi, Beth Girl here today with Janine Moga, who's a clinical social worker and a veterinary social worker at the North Carolina State University College of Veterinary Medicine. And we've had Janine on in the past doing Vet Girl webinars for us on suicide awareness, on self-care and wellness. And so we're super excited to be able to talk to her today because we think this is such an important topic. Janine, thank you so much for taking the time to do today's Vet Girl podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So just so our audience knows you, do you mind just giving a little bit of background about how you became interested in the veterinary side of social work and what you do currently at NC State? Absolutely. So I've been working in veterinary social work since 2003. Um, I became interested in the interaction between human and animals and also their relationships and what that meant for health and well-being um, early on in my graduate training. And then I started interning actually at the University of Minnesota's Veterinary Medical Center as a graduate student and got to see what those relationships looked like from the veterinary side of practice and became really interested in all of the different ways humans and animals intersect and interact and influence one another. And then along that course, as I continue to work in veterinary medicine, I've become very interested in occupational health and resilience, specifically because veterinary practices are incredibly busy, um, and they tend to see the entire range of the human experience, not just the entire range of the non-human animal experience. And so what does that mean for us as practitioners and professionals? What does that mean for us with our occupational health over the long term? That's become a very focal area of interest in my practice. Thank you. I know that the specialty clinic where I work is so stressful, and I definitely utilized your incredible communication skills and your work uh, while I worked with you at University of Minnesota. So I actually think it's so important for large veterinary hospitals, especially specialty hospitals or busy emergency hospitals, to have social workers available to their pet owners. Now, we all know that the veterinary field is so predisposed to suicide, burnout, compassion, fatigue. And I was just wonder if you could talk to that. Why is that? And why are we such a field that is predisposed to all these factors? That is a really great question. And it's a complicated one to answer. I think uh, for perspective, it's really important to recognize that suicide is a very concerning cause of death worldwide. According to the World Health Organization, a person dies by suicide somewhere in the world every 40 seconds. That's a staggering statistic. And that leads to about 1 million deaths per year. And so it's not just veterinarians and veterinary technicians we're worried about. Obviously, this is a huge problem. But we do know from recent studies that there is a link between suicide and occupation. And in particular, the rates of suicide in veterinary medicine are twice that of other health professionals. And it's estimated that the rates of suicide in veterinary medicine are four times that of the general population. And so it does look like being a veterinary practitioner increases the risk of suicide. And it's been very important to start looking at that in more detail to try to untangle why that might be true. We do suspect that there is a a sort of interesting constellation of risk factors specific to veterinary medicine. And of course, generally speaking, Um, There are any number of things that might increase your risk of suicide generally. So talking about having an experience of trauma or other adverse childhood experiences, 
significant losses, a lot of strain in the family, those kinds of things growing up can predispose you to have problems with resilience. We know that having a history of mental health issues, substance abuse, or use, those things can predispose you as well, put you at higher risk. But within veterinary medicine, we see a number of other things that kind of prime the pump for some chronic strain that can make it very difficult over time for us to take care of ourselves and to bounce back. So personality issues, particularly perfectionism, neuroticism, conscientiousness, these things which clearly get us a long way when we are high-performing people, particularly perfectionism, having very high standards for ourselves and for others and really expecting superior performance from ourselves all of the time, that actually can get in the way and it can predispose us to suicide risk. It can be a real problem for us when we are in very difficult circumstances when we figure out we can't control all of the outcomes for our patients and our clients and make us feel really badly about our perception of falling short. Another thing that can be a real problem is professional isolation and even social isolation. So for a lot of practitioners in our communities, they are managing their own practices. They are working many, many hours per week and wearing 50 different hats simultaneously. And this can be very isolating over time because not everybody understands the rigors of that kind of practice. It can draw us away from the social networks that support us. And those networks are incredibly, incredibly important, even and especially when we are really stressed out. We need to have people around us who can listen to us and give us the guidance and the comfort that we need and give us a good ear. And the busier we become and the more we feel like nobody might get it, the less access we're going to have to those people. So that's a really big issue. Of course, you've mentioned, Justine, that veterinary practice is really stressful and there are all sorts of things that factor into that level of stress, but it tends to be chronic over time. And then one of the things that we really look at that sets veterinary medicine apart from some of the other health professions, in particular with suicide risk, is the attitudes toward death um, and the attitudes toward euthanasia. You know, if we think about it in terms of the fact that veterinary professionals are trained to utilize euthanasia as a mechanism to prevent suffering and to limit suffering. And our exposure to euthanasia over time could really change our perspective on death being a bad thing. It can make us feel sometimes like death is a good thing for our patients, particularly when our patients are suffering. And I think that that kind of exposure can really shift our attitudes toward death and maybe make us a little bit less inhibited when we think about death as a rational solution to really complex problems. And so I think that sets us apart in veterinary medicine from, say, physicians and dentists and others who are working with life and death situations all the time, uh, working with very complicated medical situations, and certainly in very high-stress environments as well. But their attitudes toward death don't necessarily shift over the course of practice. So that's something that's very specific to veterinary medicine that we really have to keep an eye on. And related to that, in veterinary medicine, we have an access and knowledge to and of means, the means by which we can facilitate death. And having access to the means to commit suicide dramatically increases your risk. 
And so that's another thing we really have to look at. And then last, I would say, and this is not just in vet med, but it's everywhere, it's that there's a great stigma around mental health and mental illness. And it really gets in the way of our ability to talk about mental health issues openly. And in particular, it puts up a barrier such that we can't or we feel like we can't ask for or access the help that we might need. And if we tie that back to perfectionism, recognizing that those who are struggling with mental health issues might feel like it would make them look like they are not competent or less of a professional or less of a helper than they think they should be. And so that would be an additional barrier to seeking help when that's the thing that they need the most. So all of these things sort of interact with one another to create a very difficult picture and increase our risk for suicide in ways that are very important for us to recognize and discuss openly. It's so hard. I think every veterinarian out there is touched by a classmate or colleague that has committed suicide. And I've had at least six to eight colleagues take their own life or try to. And so I also struggled with suicide ideation during my first year of my residency. And I totally agree. It's something where we talk about quality of life all the time uh, to our pet owners. But when we look at our own quality of life, uh, just because of our long hours, because of our isolation, because of our workaholic personalities, this is definitely a, a inner battle. Now, I know that um, you've talked about resilience before, and I was wondering if you could just define what that means and elaborate on what we as veterinary professionals can do for self-care and wellness. Absolutely. Happy to talk about resilience because it is critical for us to be building that over the course of our careers. Resilience is the capacity to not just withstand, but to bounce back to significant stressors in life and not just sort of returning to baseline, but having the stressor actually make us stronger and increase our capacity instead of decrease our capacity over time. Some people have different set points here for resilience, or actually all of us have different set points, and we're not quite sure exactly what plays into inherent resilience. I think researchers are still looking at what makes people resilient, but what we know is that resilience can be built. It can be expanded if we are just really, really conscious of what it means for us to learn how to work with the stresses in our lives. Both the things we can control and predict, and more importantly, the things we can't control and predict. And so finding good, positive ways to work with stress is critical to our mental health and maintaining that mental health. There are all sorts of ways we can build resilience. And part of this is knowing where you're starting from. And so it's really critical for all of us to sort of self-evaluate and figure out, am I operating on fewer than full cylinders right now. So am I feeling anxious? Am I feeling depressed? And not just am I feeling depressed, but is this something that's been persistent over time and starting to get in the way of my ability to function? Uh, Because when we start to see undiagnosed and untreated mental health issues, these are the really core things that get in the way of resilience and also predispose us to suicide. And so figuring that out right away is really critical. But I think also both on an individual level and on a practice level, we need to do things very conscientiously to take care of ourselves, to uh, make sure that our physical bodies are cared for even as busy as we are. That can often be the first thing that slips is physical self-care, getting good nutrition, 
hydrating, moving our bodies in a meaningful way so that we can discharge that stress and rest, which is for most adult Americans, um, incredibly hard to come by. Most of us don't get enough sleep and that's a chronic issue. So trying to get ourselves what we need so that we can operate with our best tools, really critical for resilience. But then I think one of the biggest protective factors, it ties into resilience as well as protects us from suicidality is social support. And that's not just at work, but it's also at home. So making sure that we are staying connected to the people who care about us, that we have mentors in the workplace and colleagues we can trust with whom we can share some of the more difficult stories of work, um, making sure that we are utilizing those supports as best we can. That's incredibly important. I think the hard thing is when we see emergency cases or when we have to see a new appointment every 15 to 20 minutes, we don't have that self-care. So I know on a really busy shift, I'm often dehydrated. I haven't had time to drink water. I haven't had time to eat a lunch. Like there's no such thing as a lunch break for a lot of veterinary clinics out there. So just physically we're run down. We oftentimes will unwind at night. We don't get the right number of hours of sleep. I know for me, I need eight hours So I totally agree with you, Janine. There are simple steps that we often need to take towards our own self-care. And again, for me, it's staying hydrated. It's making sure I have healthy snacks, that I'm getting some physical exercise, that that appointment is going to have to wait 10 minutes while I use the bathroom and drink some water. But I think we often beat ourselves up as veterinarians or veterinary technicians in that we're really working hard to try to please the pet owner or our management or our staff where we often put ourselves on the back burner. What resources do you recommend that might be out there that could help veterinary professionals who are struggling with wellness or even burnout and compassion fatigue? So the great news is that awareness around these issues has really been building over the last 10 years or so. Um, And that means that we have more resources available now than ever before. So that's the great news. Um, A good place to start is with the AVMA's Wellness and Care Assistance Program, and they have a wonderful sort of very comprehensive online resource that includes all sorts of assistance and information and links to additional tools that you can use for compassion fatigue and burnout, self-assessments for depression, talking about financial wellness, you know, any number of things that might be useful to you as a practitioner um, will be listed on that site. But there's also a really nice resource of the state veterinary medical associations that have any sort of peer assistance program. And the good news is that we have more and more state-run veterinary associations that are looking into the importance of having confidential, trustworthy peer assistance available to folks who hesitate to reach out. And that's one of the big barriers in veterinary medicine, that this is a very tight-knit and insular field. And so oftentimes, we know that veterinary practitioners are hesitant to reach out outside of the field for help. When that is actually the thing they probably need to do. Part of it is, as you said, Justine, is that we are time-starved. People are working crazy hours. They're exhausted. And the last thing they want to do is have to have to find someone, um, a therapist or a counselor or some sort of mental health resource who might understand what their professional life is like and understand the specific stressors in this field. Um, and it's very difficult to demystify mental health care. Really difficult sometimes to find someone. And then there are you know, oftentimes concerns about confidentiality and 
if I seek help, is that going to adversely affect my career? Is that something I'm going to have to disclose? And so looking up the peer assistance programs and being clear about what the regulations are in each state about whether or not seeking help is something that you are protected for. And in many states, it is. So being able to do that, know where to find some of those resources is helpful. For folks who are really struggling with feeling hopeless and feeling chronic despair, like no matter what I do, it's not enough. This is never going to get better. Those are the folks who right now need to reach out to talk to someone. And the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is a great place to start, available 24 hours a day. That number is 1-800-273-TALK. And that is the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. So that is available to anyone who's desperately struggling. You don't have to sit with your own thoughts and your own fears. You can talk to someone and please do reach out to someone who can hold it for you. There is help available. And I do actually recommend that everyone pre-program that phone number into their cell phone because if you have a friend in crisis, you don't want to take the extra two seconds to look it up. So again, it's 1-800-273-8255. They're also and I never advocate for reaching out on social media because it's not fast enough, but uh, they're on Twitter at The Lifeline. Uh, there's a lot of resources out there. So again, make sure everyone pre-programs your cell phone just so they have that information available 24 hours every day. Janine, I know you've been so instrumental in speaking at veterinary conferences, giving webinars and talks on this. Any last tips or advice that you want to leave with us? I would say one of the things that would be most helpful within veterinary medicine as we continue to look at this very complicated issue and very important issue is to start to talk openly within our own professional networks about the importance of mental health, the importance of peer support, and starting to reduce that stigma. And the only way we reduce the stigma is by being open with one another about what we need and making it possible to ask questions when we are concerned about a colleague. So learning how to have these conversations is a critical professional skill. QPR is a model that we've been using at NC State for a number of years. It's something that we train our folks on. We offer trainings once to twice a year within the College of Veterinary Medicine, and it's a model of suicide prevention and intervention that is based in peer support and social support. Because the people who are on the front lines with you are in the best position to A, recognize when something is not right, and B, to talk to you about it and get you the help that you need. But of course, having those conversations is terrifying. None of us feels comfortable inherently having these painful conversations with a colleague or a friend we care about. Um, It's really frightening. Oftentimes, we're afraid we're going to say the wrong thing. We're going to make something worse. And so having some training and how to have these conversations and how to recognize risk is really important. We want to enable people to seek the help that they need and not be embarrassed by it. And what we know is that, again, these undiagnosed and untreated mental health issues are the primary risk factor for suicide. So we need to be able to keep an eye out for one another and provide that support, especially because most of us spend more time at work, more time in the clinic than we do at home or anywhere else in our lives. And so these are the people we spend the most time with and we need to be able to support each other. 
Thank you so much, Janine. Again, that phone number um, for the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-8255. Again, a free great resource is also the ABMA Peer and Wellness Assistance page, which literally you can just Google. Uh, the Wellbeing and Peer Assistance has some great information out there. Janine, thank you so much for taking the time to discuss this really important topic. And I really do hope that we as veterinary professionals can talk more openly about this just to increase awareness and just to help heal a friend, heal ourselves and focus again on how we can have better self-care and wellness. Thank you again. Thank you so much for having me.